Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name's Kyle. Originally from the UK, but currently living in the Netherlands. And you're listening to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, what did you think was really cool when you were younger, but now looking back is just really, really cringe? Okay, here comes the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dame Baptiste, my producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizzer. Hello. And a mix of very special guests pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Kyle, from the Netherlands question. What did you think was cool when you were young, but is now really cringe? Um, <laughs> uh, I think I think the Macarena probably goes right up there for me, really. Uh, Dane, I don't know about you. Um, I mean, that's really larger than yourself, Howard, that you never thought the Macarena was that cool. But then, who, who am I to speak? Um, I would say the coolest thing I thought was when I was young was my wardrobe, which in many ways is now really cringe. There are a few fashion profiles in there, including a white denim jacket with black dragons on it. Ooh. Uh, a pair of Nike shocks just had the really, really big springs on the back, which there was just no need for. Like, an air bubble would have been sufficient. Mm. Um, and... I mean, that, you set a pretty high bar there, mate, to be fair. I think, so. I, think, I, think I, thought, I thought my wardrobe was cool at the time, but now I'm just like, some of the things, like, I bought a pair of jeans with rhinestones in it, Kyle. So what I'm trying yeah. to say is, is that... Um, you know, never really invest too much of your self-esteem in fashion because it changes all the time. So, so it's, a, it's a great question, Kyle. And uh, suffice to say, on this show, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dane? Absolutely. One thing that still remains cool after all these years is this podcast where we like to answer and ask all the important questions. And if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can subscribe to us on Acast, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by all of our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a British stand-up comedian, writer and actor. He founded ACMS, the Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, which he co-hosts with Tom Tuck at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Soho Theatre. He also co-wrote the UK TV series Ball and has written for Have I Got News For You, Newsoids and Nevermind the Buzzcocks, as well as the news quiz Dilemma and Newsjack. His debut stand-up comedy album, Is It Better?, is due to be released in late 2021 on Monkey Bell Records and his podcast, Soundheap, the podcast of too many podcasts, is available to listen now. Please welcome to the show, John Luke Roberts. Hello, thank you for having me, and thanks for the uh, thanks for plugging my wares. That's nice at the beginning of a podcast. It normally happens at the end. Oh no, flowers early. We go flowers early. early. We like to present you with yeah. flowers early, John Luke, so you can you know cut the stems, add all of the plant food, and have the plumage gone gone <laughs> gone clear before we're finished. And, nice yeah. Go, back, go back to them. Thank you. It really adds uh, adds the confidence boost. To the guest as well, I think. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice having things in a list, isn't it? It's nice to have have, have your life made into a list and go, oh yeah, that's a list of things. That's nice. Yeah. Um, and do you have things when you were young, uh, John Luke, that you uh, 
that you thought were cool and are now cringe? Is there anything? I, I think I, I generally go the other way around. Um, I think <laughs> I've come back around to pretty much everything I liked when I was young. I've just bought a Boglin. Do you remember Boglins? Oh my God. Wow. The rubber puppet like creature monsters that would come in a cage. The box was a cage. Uh, and <laughs> I've just bought a new one. I got it delivered to my in-law's house and it turned up on my father-in-law's birthday so he thought I had bought him Boglin it wasn't for him it was for me I I needed a Boglin back in my life yeah fair enough was he disappointed when he realised that a Boglin wasn't actually for him Uh, I I think he was so baffled by the whole thing that there was no real emotional investment either way it hasn't harmed our relationship (laughs) I would say that's that's how Boglins work is that they maintain (laughs) the same kind of interfamilial um, limbo so that's good can I say a white denim jacket with dragons on it sounds pretty good to me. I don't know that. Yeah, me too, John Luke. That's the thing. At the time, it sounded really good, and then I was like, <laughs> "Oh." But the thing with it, the thing with a white denim jacket with dragons on it is that you need that can't just be thrown on a tracksuit. You need to put together an entire ensemble, and I don't believe that I had the facilities at the time. Essentially, for those who are listening, wondering how that happened, there was just a point in time within popular culture where you know. There was this weird kind of quasi uh, obsession with these with dragons and kind of mm. like faux, faux Asian like um, writing and stuff because it was kind of around the same time that people were getting like um, uh, Chinese character tattoos and stuff as well. Mm. It was a kind of real good time for kind of tokenism you know, culture in the West, right? And uh, I mean, it was a more a more accepted form of appropriation. But I mean, my influence came from the use of the dragon with the singer of the thong song Cisco. <laughs> so with his debut, his debut album was called, um, yeah, Year of the Dragon. Right. So no, their album, Drew Hill's album was Year of the Dragon. And then when Cisco went solo, he continued the same theme. So it was a bunch of neon and dragons and, you know, Top Man were fully involved. And so first of all, I had a shirt with a slight uh, dragon and emblem on it. And I was like, this works. And then I went full scales and went for the, the white denim. And then I had to remember that I'm not in any kind of, Four by four garage slash R and B boy band, and so I was like, yet. Oh, this, it's not, yeah, yet it's not going to get much use." And then I failed to recruit said members in university. Yeah, and so I just had shame. to move away from it. But I feel, I feel somewhere there is the leader of an eighties based sixteen bit computer game gang <laughs> that's carrying a lead pipe right now, and that jacket's doing him wonders. So yeah. it's nice know. to think about that. Yeah, making someone happy somewhere. Um, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the as the format of this show tends to dictate. Absolutely, dragons and boglins aside, John Luke, we are invite you to ask our first question, which can be any question you'd like, which we'd like to discuss for fifteen minutes of some change. Then, how would I like to pose a question to you, which we'd like to all discuss, and then finally, I'd like to do the same to pose you a question, uh, which we can discuss, and then. As we stated, we'd like to reap the seeds we've sown and then go back to um, all of your good works for our listeners to find out more about what you're doing. How does that sound? That sounds like a terrific format for a podcast. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Good to to hear. It means a lot coming from you, sir. Um, So the floor is yours. Ask our first question. Um, You know, I've I've been wrestling with it. I have one question, which is basically a way of plugging my podcast. And I don't think it's really, I'm not sure. I'm not. And then I've been, I woke up at 7 a.m. here. And I, I woke up and I've been running through questions and I can't really, I'm not sure any of them are up to scratch. So I think my question is going to be, what makes a good question? <laughs> <laughs> Episode 127, someone finally t- took us meta, which is uh, quite <laughs> yeah. nice to see. Um, 
Well, you know, let's let we'll take the question. Always, we always take the question, don't we, Dave? Right. But, Absolutely. But I would love to know what are the questions that you dispensed with that you thought were questioning <laughs> yeah. their adequacy. What, what, okay. was, what was on the long list of questions? So, so the long list, the, uh, right? Uh, some of these have disappeared into my dream world. Um, but the the original one, because my podcast is a podcast of too many podcasts, it was going to be what's something that you like which you think there's too much of. Um, but then I thought I don't know the answer to that myself. Uh, so I'm not going to be very. I can sort of put that there and then be silent when I'm thinking about football. It. Football, I'll just say football done. Uh, fine, fine, yeah. yeah. I, I'd say like all art, probably. Yeah. Just too much of it. We can't right. scratch the surface anymore. I'd, can I'd we? say I'd say content. Mm. Content, yeah, yeah. I feel because yeah. I feel like that's that's more uh, that's a term for um I guess for a phenomena that is masquerading as art, mm-hmm. but you know can either be you know very effective advertorials or market employees oh, or horrible. attempts at data capture. But I just think I just worry because we say that content is king nowadays, which we now measure by quantitative methods rather than qualitative methods. So mm-hmm. as you said, it's like. I don't think that's art necessarily when the uh, inspiration for that isn't for any kind of, you know, isn't, isn't something that begins conceptually so far as trying to create something tangible from someone's mind as opposed to trying to sell to somebody else. That would have been so a good I question, think, though, I think. That would have been a very good question. What, what else was on the list, John? <laughs> Luke, John Luke. What else was on the list? Yeah. Um, I had, uh, have you been in an accident at work that wasn't your fault? Um, <laughs> um, to which my answer is no because yeah. I think I've been in accidents at work but as a, as a sort of clown comedian thing those were my faults you feel the only person on stage and you hurt yourself that's you in one of my earliest jobs in television I had to help a uh, interior design show move the you know the stuff you know the, the objects around the house and injured my arm and genuinely I got fired because I had injured myself. Really? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound legal. But that uh, company doesn't exist anymore. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be saying this publicly. There you go. <laughs> and even if you did, it sounds like they would have liquidated their assets and gotten rid of any evidence, Howard. So maybe you got yeah. maybe maybe you got out easily. Who knows what they would have done with you if it was on, if it was pressure? <laughs> These uh-huh. are all good questions, though. I think. I mean, they all, they all open up open up chasms of conversation, uh, John Luke. Mm-hmm. I'd say. Um, yeah. But the, no, thank you. Your original com- question is, is, is to me, a, a, a fascinating one because, you know, me and Dane have to come up with at least one question a week uh, for this show. And I, I don't think I ever run out, but sometimes you will go, mm, yeah, I'm not sure that's such a good one, really. Uh, I don't know if you have that same brain pattern, Dane. Or- no, definitely. And I, and I suppose it's also about whether that question allows for the, uh, is it the uh, answery or the, respond- the respondee to like uh, elaborate on the subject and give us a, a clearer context of who they are as a person based on how they respond. Yeah. So I think that's why I wanted to leave have a, a show where we have open-ended questions that yeah. are normally quite difficult to answer yes or no and just allow people to expand because I just want people to give a viewpoint that is somewhat apolitical, just outside of bipartisan political lines and just, just you know, open a, open a little estuary for their stream of consciousness, John Luke. That's what we're going for, I guess. So... <laughs> I guess that's what makes a good question. One that's, I guess, not too probing, but allows someone to kind of be uh, pensive and, uh, you know, reflective when they give their answer. Definitely. I think think it makes a massive difference. I think also there's certain people in the world who maybe don't have it in their nature to question and therefore coming up with a question would be a kind of brand new experience where I think 
the art form, I don't know if you feel that you're in your career, John Luke, that you're constantly questioning things or not. I like to think of myself as a questioning person, although the attempt at coming up for a question for this may reveal otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I yeah. think you, I think you can. I mean, particularly in the art form that we do, questioning is something that is a natural part of the. Uh, I mean, in at the most fundamental level, questioning is, is a large part of uh, stand-up comedy in terms of when you're telling a joke, the setup, the premise, the setup, and the punchline. The premise a lot of the time is going to be what or why um, or how. And, you know, it's a lot, It's a large part of observational comedy. Like, what's the deal with airplane food? So when people consider the quintessential example of observational comedy, it begins with a question. Oh, no, that's, I think that's right. I think I'm, I'm more of a sort of nonsense peddler, an absurdist myself. And I think fundamentally with that, it's trying to make the audience question things, like question how they see the world and whether they, they're right about it, you know, make them look at things a bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I think you, even going back to that air, you know, the airplane food thing, right? I mean, I, <laughs> like what's to do with airplane food? I mean, it, it is a question that when if you actually decided to go past the surface, <laughs> everyone's got an opinion on it. I, I mean, you said you went to, you're in the US, uh, John Luke, at the moment. Do you, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've got there by plane, I'm assuming. <laughs> Actually, I swam. I swam. Swam. <laughs> Wait, he swam. He swam. The past of. Is it swam? I swam. Is it... I feel swam. Swam is one as well. As well, I think. See, swam or swam. That's a good thing about questions as well. Is that you know, if you have a uh, space whereby you are uh, recounting a story, that's open for you to check these things and ask these questions, so as to make sure your statement is credible. I'm going to check well, that like out. My, my third question then is: Is it swam? Uh, that's the third question I'm asking on this yeah, podcast. I swam, I swam the channel, I think, is, is right. But, but you, so. you, you, you probably didn't. Yeah. I, mean, so, I came in by plane, yes. Yeah. Did yeah. you eat food on the plane? Or did I, you have to wear the mask? <laughs> did they, yeah, uh, you have to. Well, you, you, you do have to wear the mask, but then, of course, you take off the mask for the food. It's yeah. very hard to eat. With, as we've all found out, you, it's very hard to eat anything with the mask on. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. You have to go in from the top to go in from the bottom. In any way, there's aerosols going all left, right, and centre. Um, <laughs> so just 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 to, just so just a quick aside. Uh, swam is the past participle of swim, and swam is the past tense of swim. So yeah, if you were having, have if you were having a conversation when the subjects of your actions were in the present, then you'd be like, I swam. Hmm. Okay, here, and then you, that might be followed by a conjunction where you go, I swam here, but I'm going to take a boat the rest of the way. Nice. So, whereas, I see. Yeah, I swam right. that, yeah, I swam that part. I will never do it again. So I guess it's more, swam puts it in the complete finite tense, whereas swam is the past participle. And when do you use yeah. um, swimmed? Swim do you use if you may be in the presence <laughs> of people who may not speak English as a first language and care for the nuance of um, tense. And so let's say, John Luke, you show up on... You, Say you've swum somewhere again. You're doing your normal night swimming, cross like your transatlantic yeah. night swimming. But you show up in Alcatraz, and a, a terrorist cell has set up there, and they've also weaponized the inmates there as well, who, due to the American penal industrial complex, have not been privy to the best level of education. So, like, fuck you doing here, John Luke? You like I swimmed here. They'd be like, your story checks out, and that's when you use it. <laughs> that's a good idea. I would, I would worry though; they think I was trying to make fun or appropriate their voice. Um, that, that'll be up for them right. to investigate, but you pass the first check because there's yeah. always going to be an air of mistrust amongst the uh, terror, domestic terrorists slash the uh, inmates. And the I will say, I like the idea of um, 
as a criminal setting up your criminal uh, hideout on Alcatraz because it's the last place anyone would think of looking. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right? If you if you sit yeah. sometimes the best way to hide things is in plain sight. Plain sight. Yeah, you know, plain sight. Very like, smart. You, exactly. You hide hide terrorists and prisoners in a prison. I probably wouldn't wanna, put this on a podcast if this was actually my plan. But, or if you, you wanted know. to hide illegal contraband or oversee the distribution of a controlled substance, you'd start off in one of the most repressed societies in the world. Like, you'd go to Afghanistan if you want to sell heroin. Who's going to go and look there? Interesting. So, there you go. It's, it's a good idea. And actually, Howard, I think putting on a podcast is exactly the thing you should do. Hide it in plainer sight. Right. There you go. Because in the, in the sea of podcasts, Howard, that kind of stream, of, that leak in the stream of consciousness that is podcast, who's going to pick up on it? That's an interesting thing. Um, going back to questions, purely just for, you know, logic, um, is, um, are there questions that make you uncomfortable, John Luke? Oh, yeah. So my friend has a really good question that she brings out when she's having people around for dinner, which is, uh, what's your most right-wing opinion? And this is generally... Uh, That's a really dinner. good... It's a good, it's a good one. A really good and, question. you know, all these sort of lefties sitting around struggling <laughs> to say something. And it's why I didn't bring it here, because I thought, I'm not saying that on a podcast. I'm not risking uh, <laughs> cancellation through my... <laughs> Horrific sure, can I not tempt you? Just a throwaway <laughs> comment that could get you in loads of trouble, no? Uh, um, um, so, so talking, to, uh, that is interesting because that's not, that's a question that questions your social fabric as opposed to like, hey, what's your opinion about something? It's like, hey, justify a bit of your personality you don't really want to have to share with the world. I mean, I, I think it's quite useful, not just yeah. in the kind of all provocative way, but we, mm-hmm. we get so stuck on this binary mm-hmm. and there's a lot of like, tribal opinions which are held on you know the two sides of it we go actually there's no reason this allies with the other points of view here it's just sort of all collected and all what you're meant to do now rather than you know the other axis or several different axes running on every political thought that's around yeah i think it's a really i think it's a really really good question i think it definitely allows you to get a yeah grab you gives you a context of the person and well, it's credit an, to credit it's an credit to credit Sorry, it's too early. Credit where credit's due. Credit to the person who, who of whom should be credit. Swimming the checks, I swum to give credit to. Um, it's uh, to credit to credit to. Oh my god, I can't even say. Credit it. It's credit it's, it's Eve. It's Credit-tize. Eve. For, it's Eve for question. So oh, there you go. Fine, just giving her credit where it's due. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Oh god, you yeah. did that so quickly and so easily. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think. I think one fascinating thing about what makes a good question is every episode of this show. This is now episode one hundred and twenty something. Um, as a different question that is the headline of the episode. So if you look through the back catalogue listeners, you know, you can find all these different questions. It is interesting that we have almost never had someone come on the show and ask the same question as someone who's gone before, which I found really? I, every week I find remarkable because I'm always wait, waiting for the format to come and kick me in the balls by the <laughs> fact that I've got someone lovely on like yourself. And I'm like, oh, sorry, by the way, I should have told you to tell me the question because it's possible that you are saying what the person said last week. And it, it just doesn't seem to happen. I suppose it's because we have a very eclectic mix of guests. Absolutely. But we also have, I think, um, we also have, Howard, you know, people that, most human beings are capable of their own individual and critical thought. So, so you know, the question, the question yeah, should be different. Partly that and partly luck, I think, because I'm sure someone else is going to say something at some point. Like, but, you know. I, even- I will say, I thought, I, I was, when I, when I asked the question, what makes a good question, I thought, oh, somebody must have asked that. 
<laughs> Nobody's gone that deep into their own into the meta-ness of this uh, of this podcast. Maybe they're just better at thinking of questions. That's it. Well, they, but they then your the other questions the were really. But, but your other questions were really good, John Luke. There was nothing wrong with those. They're very good questions. Thank you. It's, it's all a ruse to get you to compliment my questions. <laughs> yeah, that's what this whole question but some, was. But sometimes that's it. Sometimes you know, maybe that's, that's the objection of a good question is that at the end of your line of questioning, people are like that's some good inquisition there by John Luke. That's some really good inquisition. I think you can almost, tell a lot almost, about people. Almost Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can tell a lot about people, right? And 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 I reckon all three of us here are good random wedding dinner guests to sit next to. I reckon if you sat next to any of the three of us listeners, you'd probably have a decent hour or two of your of your wedding dinner. You know, you'd, you'd be okay, right? But I think in those scenarios, people who ask questions come into their own. You know, if you don't, if you're not a question asker, and I think it, to, to naturally be a question asker is a, is a, I think a good think social if, quality. Yeah, if you're not a, someone who makes inquiries, I imagine that you are somebody who tells rather than asks, and that could be a problem. We could be verging on tyranny there, yeah. or I suppose tyranny, or um, I guess conformity. Mm. I'm not sure if those are the correct opposite ends of ah, ideological but spectrum, though. Isn't conformity a type of tyranny? Oh, oh. That could have been your question. Oh, no, yeah. oh. <laughs> Not a good question. You had great question questions. four. Oh, no. <laughs> you had loads of good questions. Well, it's well, I think I think that that was a very good question. Within it contained many Absolutely. like a Russian doll kind of. Uh, and that, uh, that's, that's the mark. That's the mark of a good question. Is that it's it, it's it sparks dialogue and open conversation. So, so um, think... applause. We doff we doff our hats at you, Definitely. John Luke. That was, a... that was done very well, John Luke. Thank you very um, much. I should let everyone listening know that you're not wearing hats. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> so <Or> are we? <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My question this week um, is inspired by our guest, as as often is the case. And um, uh, John Luke, I've seen you perform live in a variety of scenarios uh, over the years. Um, very much enjoy your work. Um, I, I, I would, you know, ask you for adjectives to describe it for our listeners now, if possible. That's not my question, but... Okay, that's not the question. That's not the question. A couple of adjectives, you know, I, I've got my own. I don't want to okay. offend you. <laughs> no, no they're, probably, they're probably right. Nonsense, jokes. Nonsense and jokes, yes. I, I say silly. Silly is the word that comes yeah. to mind when I think of your comedy. And that's not yeah. that's interesting to use that word because I think people, if you describe people as silly, 
uh, they actually get quite upset <laughs> in, the, in the normal adult world. Whereas yeah, I think it's like a, it's a badge of honour for, for, for you and the kind of comedy you do. So my question to you and to Dane and to anyone who wants to write in and, uh, and shout us out is, is how difficult is it to take being silly seriously? Because uh, I think that, that is a fabric of, co- of comedy. You know, Dane's comedy is very different to yours, but he also has to take the silly very seriously at times. But for you, John Luke, how do you take... How, how, how challenging is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, in a way, it comes naturally. But then I did... <laughs> I went to clown school for two years in France. Like, that, I think, is the mark of taking <laughs> silliness too seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I spent eight weeks going on stage, and there's a man who hits a drum when you're boring and you have to get off. That's the kind of level of me. I mean, that's basically the entire teaching method. Um, we've got to go into this school a little bit and hear a little about this school because this is a very famous school that you went to, I believe. Well, weirdly, it's very famous in some places. Uh, so it's called uh, L'Ecole Philippe Gaulier. Uh, and my French accent hasn't got any better from living in France. Uh, <laughs> too, too busy clowning is why. Too Who's busy clowning, work, yeah. And he speaks in English. On, yeah, enunciation and elocution then, or accent. You're right. And the other thing is that you try and you speak French. It's hard to learn a language when when you go and you speak French to them, they will then speak in English back to you. And you have to you get in this fight of trying to go, no, I need to improve my French, but they're still speaking English and you just give up and say, well, I'll have a croissant, please. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. And well, then, yeah, and go, so, no, monsieur, un croissant. That's it. Yeah, that's very <laughs> yeah. nice. That's, <laughs> I, I, like, your whole manner changes when you, you do French as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so we, uh, you, it's, a, it, it's not a clown school. It's a theatre school by a clown, but you do get clown taught there. So I was mainly there for sort of this. There's a 10-week course of clown. Then it's followed by a 10-week course of um, being taught how to do French farce, which is quite fun. Um, but, yeah, it's, he's uh, – basically – you have to, it's all about having fun, finding the pleasure in performing and sharing that with an audience. And you're under the most difficult conditions to find it pleasurable to go on stage because there's this man there with a drum who keeps telling you you're bad at it. Um, it's been a few years now. I've largely recovered from the trauma. Uh, but I got, a lot, I got a lot out of it. Well, I think one of the best things I learned about it actually is you sort of can't, you don't get to choose the way in which you're funny. You have to let an audience let you know what, what you're funny when what's funny when you do it or in what way you are funny um and that can be quite hard if you you it turns out you're not funny in in the way of the type of comedy that you like to do luckily for me um i i, I seem to get away with the type of comedy i always wanted to wanted to do um, and, it, and, it, and it is you know the the, the, the the when you're right when you're coming out of this material like dane some of your stuff is I would consider it pretty serious, right? Like, whereas in yeah. it's got like proper. Whereas, whereas it, yeah. there are times you do it's, very like you. One of your famous bits is a TLC bit, right? Uh, yeah. It did very well. I remember on, online, and that's quite silly content for you comparatively to some of the other stuff you do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's silly content, and I think I mean a lot of my I guess the premise of or the subject matter of this, which I tackle on stage can be considered quite serious, but I would say that the way to do that effectively is finding the lack of seriousness within those subjects. So that's normally the perspective I go for. So for example, as I was saying before, with a conservative belief, so something like homophobia, for example, or transphobia, for example, 
for me, I mean, you know, people that are the recipients of transphobic vitriol or hatred or homophobic hatred, you know, it's a very serious and very traumatic experience for them to have that's ongoing. Um, so I guess trying to approach that and to try to, um, I suppose, dissect that by making it appear silly, I think is a very effective tool. I think that uh, laughter and ridicule for oppressed minorities is sometimes the only weapon you have against institutions which may have a lot more resources and a lot more uh, propensity to uh, physical and actual structural oppression towards you. So, you know, and that's just based on the idea that if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So, hmm. um, yeah, I guess I guess um, the stuff is serious, but I think it's always the most effective way I'm able to tackle those subjects is by, A, not taking myself too seriously and not taking the subject too seriously. So I don't take myself too seriously in terms of the fact that that way... Because if you take it too seriously, then it's very easy for you to have your narrative uh, transcend into becoming quite dogmatic or or pre- or, pre- or preachy. So your debut always, show at Edinburgh, yeah, exactly, your debut yeah. show at Edinburgh was uh, you know very successful, and then there's, there's you know it's 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 full of what people would expect from Dane. But if you actually go back and if there is a copy of the video of it, uh, you will see Dane performing. Uh, was it a dance routine? If I remember correctly. It was a dance routine. Um, which was, and, <laughs> which and, hasn't happened again, just to point it out. No, but uh, it was, the point was made that it needs to be made. But that, the reason why, though, is that if I continue to do dancing or had any kind of like regular choreography, then that would suggest maybe I'm taking the idea too seriously. When what I want to show really is a flash in the pan thing where it's like, it's very difficult, I imagine, for most creatives to explain to people, to help them rationalise their uh, visions or their aspirations as well, creators. It, it so was, it was completely like, out of the blue. It was so oh, yeah. out of the blue. Oh, looks, you never yeah. saw it happen again. And that's why this absurdity, the silliness that, you know, that John Luke has kind of, you know, see, I feel like I'm insulting you when I say you've built a career on it, John Luke, but it is a valuable commodity. Uh, I think in, the idea that I've built a career is actually a compliment. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> but to take, you know, like kind of, some of the things I've seen you do on stage, you know, that, that people, because to, to craft them into into things that you then perform for, for, for you know, for money, uh, is it must be a, a, a quite a, a dedication in your brain to get to, you know, to build on it, right? I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a fascinating process to some people, I think, because it seems well, I think so, a, yeah. with a lot of it, it's the, the, the difference between having a stupid idea and then there's something funnier about actually going through with it, you know, putting yeah. the, like, committing to, to that daft, like I did a show which was all that I, I, it was about the 24... We uh, recently discovered Spice Girls, and I just kept playing all these different <laughs> Spice Girls I'd made up, like Christmas Spice and um, uh, uh, Scary. No, there was Iscaria Spice, and there was, there was like Nasty Spice, and there was uh, Public Health Announcements. But so it was a way of like that to go that stupid idea you say it at the beginning of the show people think well you're not going to do that and then to do it for the rest of the show i think it's it's kind (laughs) of transcends the silliness and kind of goes through itself and then obviously there's times where you do it and it doesn't quite work i mean i I, and i've seen how dare you (laughs) how very dare you (laughs) because i've witnessed what happens at some of these types of comedy nights like i remember seeing a comedian who i genuinely love so i will happily say that she did something that didn't quite work holly Byrne. Guys know Holly Byrne, quite a character. Um, brilliant, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant comedy mind, right? And she did something, uh, I was at a comedy night once, where she came on stage and put on a Whitney Houston song and sung to the Whitney Houston song while rubbing a giant arrow 
bar against her face quite slowly. So she gradually became kind of more and more covered in melted chocolate and then ate the chocolate. And then that was the act. That was the five minutes she did. And the, the audience just didn't know what to say. And and, and that's silly. Uh, potentially, I don't know how often she goes back and does that material. Um, but <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe never, but it might be a slow burner, Howard, because even though at the time you were like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here. When you recount that story now and you're like, and the lady began to smear chocolate over herself. I find that funny, that visual funny. Well, that, even, the fact that I, even the fact that I wasn't there and, you know, maybe that's the kind of credence that clown needs is that even like with comedy, like it may be a slow burner and it may not work at the time. But that's a part, but part of the absurdity of trying something that looks like it wasn't going to work is why clown works. And I mean, that's what I like about it is that I think clown is very effective in helping creatives to remove that part of their brain where they almost approach like creating scenes and stuff in a serious way. Because you can have an idea, and as you begin to seriously give it uh, diligence in your mind, the idea of clown is like, all right, well, fuck it, drop it. Because as soon as you start beginning to kind of form a scene or try to act out that I know, then it's like, well, then you are taking it too seriously, and you're focused more on the scene rather than performing for the laugh. And I am aware that because of my very, very brief foray into uh, clown was for two days in a workshop with Dr. Brown, it might be pure bullshit. But that's part of clown. That's probably what I heard most over the most the course of those two days. Nah, do something else. Nope. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> do something else. But but it's but it's but in that respect, it's good because it means, like I said, the, the less you take stuff seriously, the less you form walls in your mind about where to go next or how you're supposed to just to express an idea. Yes, mm. the more free flowing it becomes. So, yeah, and I think I think actually one of the important things about that drop I thing is learning that having an idea flop isn't the end of the world. Like yeah. it's, it's, you can find the pleasure of doing something which hasn't worked. And then from finding that pleasure, the audience start to find you funny because you've found the thing funny that didn't work. There's a great little clown things that sometimes happens in a clown number where the clown does something so stupid, like such a terrible idea. And the audience laugh because they think, why would you even think that was a yeah. good thing to do? Yeah. But the clown hears the laugh and goes, great, you like that thing I did. And then do it, does it again. And then the audience is laughing because he thinks this is funny. Yeah. And then and then the clown does it again. But and by this time, the audience is laughing at the actual thing itself. So you can get them sort of wrapped around into that. I'm sort of clown adjacent myself rather than full clown. But mm. I have a lot of respect for clowns. And oh, definitely. Are there, are there particular things like that where you've kind of done something that you, it, you know, those highs and lows of it must be... Do they stick with you or do you just kind of brush them off, uh, John Luke? I think I used to do it more. Like there's a certain, when I started, I needed to do clown training. Well, I needed, I don't think, I think the phrase I needed to do clown training is maybe a bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I, I was like, I needed something to loosen me up performance wise. I was doing, <laughs> I was just so sort of, I had this very aloof stage persona. I didn't, I, I, there was a, a stage early on in my career when I thought if you have to like perform the joke, you're somehow undermining the writing and the writing should stand by itself. And that's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Like, why not make it as fun in as many different ways as possible? Mm. But I needed to do clown training, shake out of that. And I needed to get used to failing and that being okay. Um, because I was terrified of dying uh, on yeah. stage. Uh, and so wow. that really shook it out of me. It took a, took a while and there were lots of ups and downs. But there's such a thrill in being on stage in those clown workshops with absolutely nothing. Like, it's gone terribly and then somehow winning it back and you don't always win it back but when you do the adrenaline rush is fantastic and i used to build that into my act but i've sort of um i haven't really for a while 
Mm. Although it's still useful to like put in a joke with, if you know, if you have a joke, I'm sure you find the same thing, Dan. If you have a joke which is a little bit corny or a little bit, you can use that to get a big laugh for the next one because you sort of put this in, it flops a little bit, yeah. and then the tension is there for a massive like release of that laughter. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. I think, um, like I said, I, I have a, had a very, very brief uh, foray into clown, but yeah, being able to embrace that uh, risk of failure within your act on stage, um, I think, I think is immensely helpful. And like you said, is that it's by you not being afraid to mine in places that appear to uh, yielding nothing, and then finding something, and being able to work on that thread, it means that you you strengthens your resolve as a uh, creative. But it means, yeah. It's it's informed all of my other pieces a lot better. There's other parts which I may have played down in terms of working up towards a punchline. Whereas now, you know, if you you approach every aspect or every uh, you know, every nut and every kind of like joint of a joke, because you may find something new in there which you wasn't aware of anymore. So I just think yeah, it really just comes down to just having that I would say, uh, creative disposition where you don't take yourself seriously within comedy anyway. Some comedy um, dexterity, I think, is the key, you you know, the kind of being able to blend different things and have different assets, different, like a, like like each comedian has a Batman's tool belt, right? And, uh, well, not literally, obviously, but you know what I'm saying, that, you know, you you different weapons on there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure this analogy is any good, to be honest with you, but I've gone with it. I think think there's a point, I think, I think you kind of pick it up or, or or you can think of it more like uh, being a Pokemon trainer that you pick up stuff as you go along, Howard. The reason I say that is because on some comedians' tool belts, there's definitely the uh the the section for the for the interaction with the audience and then mm-hmm. sometimes you'll meet people who don't you know and that's not a criticism of them it's just they don't have that bit on their tool belt i would say but but i think i think it's always about i guess comedy and i guess the endeavor for all everyone is to get that best projection of self so if you are a varied and layered person you should all be capable of displaying something that's a lot more akin to clown we're all very able to display some behavior that's akin to imitation or satire and we're all capable of doing some form of social commentary and being able to subvert that with our own viewpoint or our own, you know, sense of humor is something that doesn't just come with you being within the profession of making people laugh as 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 humoristas. So, yeah, <laughs> I really think it's about. I, th- I think it's like everything is. It's it's um, kind of orientating to present the best version of self, really. Oh, so yeah, always trying to do the best version of self, and just. But I just think, yeah, never taking it. I mean, all. Jo- I think, Howard, on a larger scale, it's important to remember that all jokes can be taken seriously because they can all arguably at somebody's expense. Mm. So, you know, there was a point in time where we all, within our society, normalised the archetype of being kind of fat and jolly and stuff. But we realise now that's going to be displayed as being a lot more discriminatory and fatphobic today. But then there might be some people by that same disposition who kind of still feed into that. So I think comedy with everything can be taken seriously depending on who the recipients of said comedy are. And the only way you can kind of remedy that, I think, is never taking yourself too seriously. I think if you're going to make any observations or lampoon any aspect of society or anything on stage, you should be able to do that with the same gusto as you would if you were ripping the piss out of yourself. So, well, very well said. Very well said. And thank you. I, mean, for I think I finished that too, uh, too seriously myself. <laughs> no, but it's, it, no, it's true because it, it is a, a vital element of that. And I think that question, I don't know, I don't, I don't you know, Kind of navel gazing at comedy, I think, is a is a good thing at times. I think it tells us a lot about the world. But um, anyway, Dane, over to you for today's final question for it's the been, podcast. Absolutely, these have been uh, great questions, John Luke, and uh, I think you have um, definitely um, gotten to the quantum of what makes a good question. Um, 
Uh, and a great and a great uh, point of, and a, being a great conversationalist, I say to say this: uh, I am shamelessly going to just in, adapt uh, the question you said before, and I'm going to ask everybody what their most regressive, what they believe their most conservative or regressive belief is. <laughs> <laughs> I can't you believe. It. <laughs> oh shit, uh, John Luke, do you, do you want? I you mean, can't throw this straight to me. I okay, need to, I, I need to I go myself through to find out which one I can actually say. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got one that definitely fucks people off. But when I think, I think, listen, listeners, before anyone gets fucked off at us, let's just point out, and at least I can speak for myself, that these beliefs that we're about to say, they aren't like 100% cast iron beliefs, they might be things that we want to discuss and, you know, converse about, as opposed to saying, this is the way we think it should be. I can only speak for myself there. Maybe John, Luke and Dane disagree. Their silence speaks volumes, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I would like for you to elaborate, Howard. Well, I'll tell you one that I've thought about and I've discussed, right? Um, I've talked before, maybe not on this podcast, but I've definitely, you know, I sit in brainstorms coming out with fucking TV show ideas with people and, you know, I've often said before that, you know, is there a conversation to be had about people needing to pass, to get qualifications to be able to become a parent? Uh, which I think we may have discussed on this podcast in the past, potentially when we were less renowned as a podcast. And therefore, I was probably more willing to <laughs> to bring that up. But, you know, I, I've often wondered whether or not that is a valid uh, thing for people to discuss. And it really offends people. It really, it, it sounds like a right wing thing, does it not, John Luke? <laughs> you actually, it froze, so I don't know what you said. You said that parents, <laughs> you said parents shouldn't be taught to have children. No, have parents I, should I, be, parents should be, uh, have to, people should have to pass the qualification to be a, become a parent. Oh, right. Okay. As well, in, you, not everyone's just allowed to have kids. Uh, is potentially another way of saying. Well, that. hang on, but how would you, how would you like manage that? Are you talking about like mass? Um, sterilization and then you only kind of get it back once you and that's once you do a DMVQ. I, I, haven't, I haven't gone that far with it. Okay. I haven't gone that far with it. I was just saying <laughs> <laughs> but thanks mate. Thanks for putting those words in my mouth. Um, <laughs> um, what I was getting at is the fact that there is clearly in the history of the last I'll just say the last hundred years just for argument's sake some people who probably have not been well suited to becoming parents. There was nothing to you know like just like there's some people who aren't quali- you know capable of driving and therefore they never pass their driving test maybe there should be a parent test uh, well uh, i mean <laughs> well, I, yeah but it's a kind of in principle thing isn't it yeah like but what you're basically saying is, wouldn't it be nice if all parents were good parents? I agree with that, absolutely. Yes, correct. And, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. working towards that goal. And one yeah. thought was to say that the people who aren't good at it... Yes, I don't think the way to get there is sterilising the bad parents, as <laughs> well, you I said a moment ago. <laughs> yeah, definitely didn't say sterilisation, but thanks for bringing my mouth again. Um, no, I said that... that, that <laughs> look, you might, you might be able to take the test a couple of times, you know? and then, Oh, eventually I was past it and I'm allowed to have kids because I'm now not kind of having this massive gaping hole in my character. So Fuck me, your, this is awkward. Is uh, your, well, uh, uh, where in your in your list of things that you are, wh- what height do you put eugenicist? Like, is that is that, <laughs> that right at the top? Or is that just somewhere down well, the line? He's, he's been a parent for a year, Johnson, so you, you, you do the math. <laughs> Welcome to the last episode of Dane Baptiste's Questions Everything. Well done, John Luke. Do you think you would have passed the test? I think there's many things that I would have passed the test. There might be things that I would have got like marked <laughs> yeah. down on. 
Um, I don't have the answers. I'm merely posing a question that I know gets people wound up. And it clearly has got you kind of, at least not wound up, but you, you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure about what this fucking guy's saying, um, which, which is which is why. Uh, and it is a right wing. There you go. Is that right wing or is it just mental? I don't know. Am I even in the territory? Well, right Howard, the thing, the thing is, it's, it's, it's a thought, isn't it? And that, and that is the main you thing go. that we yeah. have to take on. Planet, I would want to point that. out one thing. Sorry, just to say that this, com- this idea came about because I sit in rooms trying to navigate what people could potentially watch on television. So it's not like I sat here going, I've got a great idea. Let's stop people becoming parents. It was more That's like... That's right. Yeah. That's right, John Luke. These are only entertainment eugenics, which is very, very... <laughs> this is the problem with trying to come up with the next super nanny. Nobody can top Joe Frost, right? It's just, I'm, I'm just buggered. Like, nobody can beat that show for parenting. So we just... Nobody gets there. Has she got kids? Joe yeah, Frost. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm just on the edge of a joke, like, ma- matching... Bruce Forsyth's <laughs> The Generation Game with eugenics, and I can't quite put it together. Yeah. Something, something there. <laughs> but go on, what's your right-wing opinion then, John? I'm in trouble now. Come, let's see yours. Okay, actually, I, I, I think this is what I think, because there's a lot of, you know, the idea of cancel culture? Oh, yeah. And um, there's this idea that... So well, I guess my right-wing opinion, the point on which I would overlap with my right-wing family members is... I think cancel culture does exist and I think it's a bad thing and we need to find a way out of it. Mm. I mean, that makes sense. for me, a completely logical point that has no flaws and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the idea that it's right wing or left wing says a lot about the people on the left wing who are too scared to maybe look outside of their own perspective. Yeah. I think there's no, the idea, it's all about disposability too, I think. I think we've got to a stage when, partly because there's so many people in the public, there's so many people yeah. now. That means there's and, so and, much and, stuff, and, there's so many artists, there's so many celebrities, well, so many, the rest of it. And, and it becomes the, a bit the, disposable. The, the democrat and the, the democratization of said voices within these mm-hmm. groups are a lot more prevalent than they were previously. So there are several, I would say, artists, creatives, influencers, ideologues, who we would know, not necessarily really know about that you are not necessarily forced, but it's more likely you will in, interact with these people. Like if if I wasn't if there was if it wasn't for social media, I probably wouldn't be aware that there was like a sub genre of entertainment where you showed people how to put on makeup. I mean, I may not have known that there is a subculture of people that enjoy watching other people open gifts, Fair. and that people that are are ped- pedestalized for that same attribute. So yeah, it's I guess it's interesting in that. So. Um, have you got a right wing one that you've got up your sleeve, Dane? Are you going to get us in trouble here? Well, I'm not sure why, but the thing is, it's a, the reason why it's a good question, and again, credit to uh, the creator of the question, is because if people are able to answer it, then it shows you that um, by the token that all human beings are capable of what can be regarded as conservative thought, then it's not it's not unreasonable to suggest that we can have conversations at dinner despite holding very different beliefs. Or the other idea is that if someone holds purely what they perceive to be left or liberal uh, beliefs are not even able to fathom or conceptualize someone having alternative thought, then that's also kind of autocratic in belief as well. So I guess that's the idea of the question. So, And it's all quite relative because <clears throat> I'll give you an example. I would say that when I was younger, I definitely held a chauvinistic belief that it was my job as a cisgender straight man to provide for my family and for my partner or potential partner to be a homemaker. And that didn't come from any hatred to groups that exist outside of that paradigm. But I thought that, you know, I would 
be do it was the right thing to do. And I would believe that if I was to observe that kind of um living situation or cohabiting situation that I'd be doing the right thing. And at the time, I hadn't considered that, you know, I'm dealing with another human being with their own thoughts and inclinations and desires and their own varied beliefs, which may contradict my own. And so, yeah, I guess after that, it led me to have to think, you know, I can always have a very good and rounded and what I perceive to be a very wholesome idea of what I think a partner should be. But then after that, I was like, why don't you just worry about what you have to offer instead of what you want? But um, that and also I think people that go on poverty porn shows sometimes who have more than one dog in their house or it's like a council house, they shouldn't have that fucking house. I also think if you uh, turn a government informant, that my tax money shouldn't pay for you to get witness protection when you're done because you're still a fucking criminal. So that's two potentially regressive conservative beliefs I have. I think if you are a drug dealer or you've been involved in like, you know, a RICO or racketeering and corrupt organizations, or you're like a mobster, and then you get caught by the FBI and you turn state's evidence in order to convict other people, I don't think your, your sentence should be reduced. And I think when you leave prison, you should be on your fucking own. So, discuss. These... <laughs> <laughs> what, what a good mix of potentially offensive comments. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that wouldn't actually... You pick, you pick I mean, one that you think is the easiest for you guys to maintain <laughs> your own careers in the fallout of my views, <laughs> and we'll go with that one. But the problem is with the informant one, it's just practicality, though, isn't it? Like, you're not going to get people to inform unless you give them the, the old Yeah, they do the old perks of, yeah. yeah, but I think but using the precedent of somebody like Sammy de Gravano when Rico's statues were first kind of formed, I'm like, given the litany of murders this guy's committed, yes, he helped us to convict and bring down a large part of organised crime. But I'm like, but you were still also a large thriving part of organised crime. So it's kind of like, you know, yeah. should, or, or I should say, should your now new identity come at the expense of taxpayers? Yeah. Uh, a, a reasonable argument. I mean, the, the thing is, but the, like you guys, you know, this kind of started a lot of this is people just don't want to engage on these things anymore, no? Because they're just so, everyone, you think, John Luke, I mean, you're in America at the moment. How scared are people to have these kinds of conversations? The difficult thing is, as you sort of touched on, Dane, is the only way out of this, we're so polarised and we use this social media which makes us more and more polarised. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. There's this idea, we need to talk to each other, even yeah. if we other people have ideas we don't like. And there's also this idea now that if somebody has an idea we don't like, they're doing it on purpose. Not yeah. because they believe in the idea, but because they want to do something nasty to somebody. There's no, we don't give people the benefit of thinking, actually, maybe they really do believe this is the right thing to do. And maybe we should talk on those terms rather than thinking that, oh no, this is just because these people hate uh, hate us or hate this subgroup or hate whatever. You've got to come from the start with the position that they're holding these ideas in good faith and then find out why they think it, you know? Yeah, of course, because, and, uh, because you know, it's, uh, I guess it's, it's human thought. We have to kind of think about what uh, what level of that comes from critical thought, what, what part of that is a cognitive function, and what part of that is a function of suggestion. You know, a lot of the time people's platitudes are functions of the world they grew up in. Um, interestingly, one of the first times I heard it on TV was from John McCarrick, of all people. 
I was watching Celebrity Big Brother and he was saying, well, he was just talking about the folly of religion being that it, your religion is largely dictated by the geographical location you're based in when you're born. It's not to do with, you know, it's not necessarily preordained. So he said he finds the idea stupid. But then by the same token, he said he was also proud to be British. And I would argue that patriotism uh, and the idea of like national identity is also a function of suggestion and, and has no... and. No other merit other than the vagina that you're pushed out of, and the landmass that that vagina said vagina is on. Um, so, yeah, I think you're completely right. And I would just add one last thing to say, which is that uh, when you get into these conversations with people, I can't help but think that history. You know, people like to say, "Oh, history is going to judge." You know, our action. I think history is going to look back at this little era that's just gone on and think we're a bunch of pricks. And from that basis, on that basis, I don't think a lot of what you're, are we worry about or we think about actually is relevant anymore. I think that the, the great challenges of existence, such as the planet is on fire, um, is probably what, you, you know, we could all be judged on a bit more uh, than kind of, you know, like, like I, I'm going to say this in a throwaway comment just to get people annoyed, but like, I care about trans issues. I don't know if it feels like I have a direct link to constantly fight and debate it. I feel like the planet being on fire is is a closer thing for me. But that's fine if that's your thing to go and do. But there are things that to me, like I feel like we have to um, like focus on. Though it's, it's a good point. Well, if you get I, capitalism out of the way, then you solve transphobia and you solve climate change. So that's there you go. Cool. <laughs> it, no, I mean, it's, it, but how it's a good point as well because you know you never know that the uh, protocols required for us to move towards a more sustainable practice as human beings may lay in the hands of a trans man or woman or a non-binary person who is having their access to the scientific or climatological research denied because of their lifestyle. Yeah, so, it's very valid. Yeah, it's all, it, it can all be it can all somewhat be interlinked, isn't it? But I, I just think it's insofar as like what regressive beliefs are. I think it's um, I, I think it's exactly as you both say. I think it's very hard for us to contextualize conversations about human consciousness along the binary lines that uh, social media has given us. So, in on the one Absolutely. hand, while it's given us like you know an enormous platform and an enormous uh, you know an enormous viewpoint as well as an enormous um i guess um palette for taking stuff in at the same time the tools in which we have to articulate our responses to the conversations we have on social media are very much reduced so yeah. it's either via emojis or through uh you know 280 characters it's why our uh range of responses can be so binary because that's how artificial intelligence communicates through zero and ones. And that's well, why a lot of our discourse is so polarized because we want responses along those same binary lines that we expect people to respond to us in the form of zero or one. But mm. human interaction is not function, doesn't function in that kind of way. So it shouldn't yeah. anyway. It shouldn't. I think, anyway. I think, so yeah, I guess a conservative thing I would say is that, you know, we're still as fucking stupid as we were 2000 or 10,000 years ago. And all technology has done is highlight the fact that human beings are fucking idiot peasants. And on that bombshell, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a really good episode. And I'll tell you why I like an episode like this, right? It's like I never really knew which direction we were going to end up going in, in terms of our tone. And I think we went up and down. And that's, uh, 
that's kind of what makes our show so good, doesn't it? And what makes bringing on a guest like John Luke so amazing, right, Dane? Yeah, well, I mean, the idea is that we just want people to question things and have conversation and, and, and try to emulate a little bit of reality for this small little hour. Um, so, John Luke Roberts, thank you so much for being uh, integral to that process today. Uh, thank you. Again, a lovely time. As I, well, I'm glad you have, because now the, uh, the, the flowers, they doff bloom. And so could you please tell, again, our uh, listeners where they could find your good works and what amazing works you have coming up you're excited about? Uh, yes. Uh, so my album is out. It is better is the name of the album. And you can buy that. I think the easiest way is probably through my website, which is johnlukeroberts.co.uk. Um, and I I think it's a really good album. My I've got a podcast out called Sound Heap. That's Sound Heap, which is a podcast with a bunch of different comedians and performers uh, making up fake podcasts it's quite a, it's a, it's a it's it's a kind of sketch show i i bloody love it i think it's great so that sounds heat and that's available wherever you get your podcasts and also i should um just uh, credit eve for hilly whose question we stole because we stole her question thank you very much Eid, and you are most welcome on the podcast if you have equally expansive and probing questions then please do come on the podcast John if you could refer uh, <laughs> Eve, I'll get Eve in yeah, I'll, yeah I'll, just I'll, get her to drop us a note a little, a little bit of word of mouth to be very very much and well received so thank you um, respect John Luke thank you and uh, uh, I hope uh, you know you enjoy your day it's very early in America isn't it it's, I'm going back to bed that's what right. I'm planning on doing I'm going back to bed you've, you've earned it sir have a good time and be wonderful and safe out there and just don't take it too seriously now You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBaptweets or Instagram at DaneSnaptiste. Our guest was John Luke Roberts. You can follow John Luke on Twitter and Instagram at JLukeRoberts. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.